0: By the time I graduated, I did what most nurses who didn't know what they was going to do did, med surge. I was actually told that I wasn't performing well enough in the position and that they thought that was no longer a good fit for me. And I, it was recommended that I take another job somewhere else in the organization.
1: So you went from working med surge to then managing like four different projects. How, how do you make that transition? How does that happen?
0: Only God can tell you. I don't know. The why is still at the core of why I do everything that I do. Eventually, I discovered the endocannabinoid system in my research, and that led me to understanding how cannabis is medicine. And that's how I ended up becoming a cannabis nurse. For some people, cannabis is the thing that they need in order to support their healing journey. So definitely not a traditional journey. (laughs)
1: Did you know cannabis nurses are a thing? Yes, they are. And in this episode, I'm going to be interviewing a nurse who moved up the ranks and was managing 14 different projects in her organization before they decided she was no longer a good fit. And does that remind you of any stories I've told in the past? Like my story of working for corporate America and being laid off along with 50 of my coworkers before deciding to switch gears and go into nursing. My guest Ashley was devastated. She had to do some soul searching. Her path led her to become a specialist in cannabis nursing, and we're going to talk about it in this episode. So with that said, let us know who you are and why you decided to become a nurse.
0: I have been a nurse for 15 years, so the why is still at the core of why I do everything that I do. When I first started off in, or decided to go to nursing school, it was actually a choice between being a pediatrician or a teacher, because I like kids, and then I went to nursing school. (laughs) So not realizing that the big difference between a nurse and a doctor, very naive in that fact. And I went through my nursing program, did my clinical rotation, ended up in my PEDS clinical, and they asked me to do an NG tube on a nine-month-old drug-addicted baby and that was my first introduction to peds it was actually the first time I had ever done an ng-tube ever I had just realized that we were going to see like dead people like the semester before like it was a whole thing right and so by the time I got the ng-tube in everybody was standing around me they were clapping yay go ash go ash and I was like yeah no baby crying I'm crying baby sweating I'm sweating I said this ain't gonna work (laughs) And so by the I decided peace wasn't going to be my thing. And I went ahead and went through the rest of the program, struggled through most of my nursing program, just barely passed. Like most nurses. Well, I don't know. I think most nurses go through the hazing of school nursing. And by the time I graduated, I did what most nurses who didn't know what they was going to do did. med surge. <laughs> so, I ended up in med surge. I, I I did my thing on the floor. I was still very young, had a lot of energy, very very excited to be a nurse. Went through multiple units. I worked on a med surge stroke, and then telemetry, and then I ended up in the uh, float pool and just all these things. And the thing that I really really appreciated and had found joy in is having being a preceptor. So you know the first year you're officially an expert at being a nurse and they tell you either you gotta be a charge nurse or you got to precept somebody. Definitely didn't want to be charge nurse, had no time for that. But I was cool with being the preceptor. I was the honorary preceptor put all the new people with me and I mean double the work, teach them how to do something. Y'all both out there taking care of the patients. Like how could you go wrong? So that's when I decided I was getting my master's degree in nursing education. I ended up doing a nurse residency program. So still following that preceptor kind of vibe where I was helping the new grads in their first year as a nurse. And basically I was like a glorified preceptor in a leadership position. So I went to all the executive meetings, but acted like a really cool preceptor. And so we went to each of the units. So I learned a lot about the hospital as a system and like culture and each of the units that I didn't necessarily work on. I had to learn a lot about those units. That way I could help the new new grads that I was working with. So from ED to ICU to women's services, did the whole nine. And I left there and ended up in corporate position for a 14-hospital system doing performance improvement and project management, operating and managing million-dollar projects. And so in that role, it was obviously very, very different from the local hospital experience. Everything was KPIs and revenue generation and, and costs and you know all these things that were very strategically driven. And I wasn't familiar with that. And so many nurses don't really understand what I mean when I talk about this. And in relation to the work of a staff nurse, specifically, I'm the person who would come in and tell you why you was about to change something in, in the organization. And you was probably mad at me because I was telling you about to change it, right? <laughs> and you had no idea why I'm telling you, but we've been working on this for months. So this is what we about to do. And it was very interesting to be in that, in that particular place because I had a lot of empathy for the, the staff nurses, there weren't a lot of people like myself, not a lot of nurses, There, there weren't a lot of women and there were definitely not a lot of women of color in that particular work environment. And like I said, just the general idea of what was acceptable and what wasn't acceptable was very different than what I understood acceptable work was supposed to be. So an example of that was a project that we worked on. You know, usually I tell this story and most people don't know what I mean by a stint. So I have to say something else. So I'm I'm very grateful that people here will Understand what I'm talking about. But it was a project on stents, and they wanted to implement a new stent into the organization because it was cheaper. They wanted to cut costs on the stents that we were using, vendor costs, things like that came up. And a few of the hospitals didn't have the technology to support the imaging of that particular stent because it was a stent that was created in another country. And so the physicians, they were against it. They didn't want it. They, it wasn't enough evidence to support it. But the company said, hey... We, we want you to do this because it's cheaper. And we said you about to make this million dollars right here, 1.4 to be exact, if you are able to implement this particular stint. I was the middle person between all of that, being able to negotiate with the, the doctors and save my butt on this project because that's how I'm being managed. And You know, eventually we came up to a conclusion, but I still didn't hit the 1.4. We only hit 1 million because a couple of the hospitals simply just did not have the technology. We did put a plan in place eventually for them to bring that in their organization once they were able to get the technology for it. But it wasn't an immediate cost savings and therefore it just wasn't acceptable. I was dealing with a lot of burnout and I discovered therapy. I also was a victim of cyber theft. $15,000 $15,000 was stolen out of my bank account. It was a down payment for my house. Yeah. And so that was happening simultaneously, not to mention I'm a mom and a and a wife and all the things. It just was too much. I couldn't tolerate it. I wasn't as functional as I probably could have been at that time, emotionally dysregulated. So that's where the therapy came in. But to me, it just wasn't enough. So I started to look into more holistic practices. The first example of that is yoga, where I started to really feel my body, my hips, you know, like just parts of my body that I long ignored because I was young and I was agile and I could do what I wanted. And, you know, all the things we don't pay attention to our bodies. And I'm sure most nurses can resonate with that. Eventually, I discovered the endocannabinoid system in my research, and that led me to understanding how cannabis is medicine. And that's how I ended up becoming a cannabis nurse. I created an online course teaching nurses how to use or leverage cannabis in their practice. If you want to better serve your clients, that would be a course for you. Or even if you want to do a full-length consultation with a client, maybe independently, that is also the course for you. From there, I spiraled into writing a children's book called Ace's Medicine, writing a novel called Stigmatized, being featured in High Times, Baltimore Business Journal, and just the whole nine. So, definitely not a traditional journey.
1: <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> wow. Okay. So we have a lot to unpack. Um, First, I want to know, where did you grow up?
0: So I live in Baltimore. I was actually an army brat. So in my earliest childhood, we moved around a lot. I vaguely remember Hawaii. We lived in Texas for a little bit. And then we ended up around second grade coming to Baltimore. And that's where I've been. And that's where I continue to stay.
1: Do you have any siblings? I have one. Okay. And how old is your sibling? Older than you or Younger. Younger. Okay, so you were the eldest at the time, and you—you yes. you were basically the one that understood what was going on. I'm guessing before your sibling did, right? When you guys kept moving from place to place.
0: Yeah. So she doesn't remember any of it. So most of her memory probably starts around the time we came to Baltimore.
1: Mm-hmm. And were any of your parents in the healthcare industry?
0: No. Nope. I'm the only one
1: wow uh, how about any family members
0: no nope, not really
1: how did you come upon um, wanting to become a nurse out of all the things I know you said you wanted to get into education initially but
0: yeah well it was teacher or pediatrician so here's I just really like kids so I was like okay I, I'm gonna be a teacher but you know you can't be a teacher because they don't pay no money. <laughs> at least that's what I was told right <laughs> I said, okay, well, then I got to be a pediatrician. I said, but I don't have money for like going to school for a doctor. So there was nobody around me to say, hey, sis, like, if you want to be a pediatrician, don't go to nursing school. (laughs)
1: Oh boy. So you ended up managing 14 facilities at one point.
0: Yeah, projects, overseeing projects over those 14 facilities. So those those projects, we were basically trying to make each hospital do the same thing. It's crazy.
1: Yeah. And was all of this in Baltimore?
0: Maryland, yeah, across the state of Maryland.
1: So you went from working med surge to then managing like four different projects. How, how do you make that transition? How does that happen?
0: Only God can tell you. I don't know.
1: Oh, my gosh. No, I really want to know because, you know, there's a lot of nurses here that are interested in getting into administration, but they just don't know how to go about it.
0: Okay. Yeah. I mean, we can go there. Seriously. Yeah. Here's the thing. I feel like we can do anything that we want. One of the biggest lessons that I learned from that experience working for that in performance improvement is how to sell yourself. So it wasn't something that I was aware of in the beginning, but man, I could sell the heck out of myself. If I show up for the interview, we, we going in, right? I'm going to tell you why I am the perfect person for the job. Right. And really it's about showing up authentic because I think, um, and especially this day and age, not only are we dealing with burnout as staff nurses, leaders are dealing with burnout. A lot of us, we don't really realize how like overworked and overburdened our leaders are. And we're expecting something of them that isn't really human, like because they're going through with whatever they're going through. So if you can break that ice with this person, like they go through interview after interview, these pre scripted interviews, nobody wants to sit through that. They bored. They tired. They're not really listening to you anyway. You have no inflection in your tone. You didn't show up dressed to impress. Like, you don't have to come with your scrubs on. You could put on some really nice clothes if you feel like it. Put on some makeup if you if you choose to or not. Just wash your face real good. I don't know. But come ready to sell who you are, what makes you you, and what makes you unique, and what makes you different. And those are the things that people do to connect. And so with that being said, when you find yourself in situations where Somebody's willing to even take the time to talk to you, talk to them, figure out what they need from this employee. Right. And I'll say this too. I've had times where people have reached out to me on LinkedIn, update your LinkedIn. If you want a certain position, put that keyword in your LinkedIn because there are recruiters everywhere looking for you.
1: You know, I host weekly live streams on my YouTube channel and every single live stream that I host, I get students, nursing students, or potential nursing students asking me, what's the best way for me to increase my chances to get a job? Yeah, and they say, you know, LinkedIn is a powerful thing. And I've gotten, I've actually interviewed so many nurses who have gotten jobs through LinkedIn messages. Yeah. Like they just messaged a recruiter or a manager in the department they were interested in working in, and they got a job through that. So I highly recommend LinkedIn. And that's just one of them. There's so many different ways to get a job. You know, the thing that you say is like you always show up and you tell them what they want to hear, right? You tell them why you're the person for that job. And people don't realize like you need to talk about something that resonates with the company you're applying to or with. Whenever I have an interview, I always get the job because I say the things that they want to hear. Yeah. At the end of the day, you've always got to be yourself, but you also have to show them why you are the perfect candidate for the position. Mm-hmm. For but sure. I find it funny because you said when you used to work in med surge, you never wanted to be charge nurse. Then yeah. you, here you come and you're managing 14 different projects.
0: Yeah, Yeah. <laughs> It's bananas. So, and, and, and it wasn't a good fit though. And, you know, and here's the other thing on the flip side, sell yourself, right? Like you want to get into where you want to get to, but also recognize what this doesn't fit for you. What doesn't align, you know, because- not everything is made for everybody. I know now that that just that particular position just wasn't one that I would be in for a long time. I learned a lot. It was great experience. It it continues to help me to this day, but that's not something that I needed to be in for 10, 15, 20 years. It just isn't.
1: Do you remember how much they were paying you in that position, if you don't mind me asking? 120K. That's not too bad, but it, it can be pretty stressful if you think about it. You're managing fourteen different projects, mm-hmm. and you're getting paid one hundred and twenty thousand. Do you think it was worth it?
0: No, I don't. And I also would like to believe that I was probably one of the lowest paid out of my peers.
1: Why do you think that is?
0: Just because of some of the evidence that I could pick up over time. So I don't want to get too deep into it because I don't want to expose the particular organization too much. Yeah. You know. Yeah.
1: So how long did you last in that position before you decided to move?
0: Two and a half years.
1: You know, a lot of people talk about how stressful and burned out, you know, the bedside nurses are. But just like you mentioned, they don't think about what the administrators are going through because I work with, you know, some really cool, awesome managers and a director. And they're great human beings, but I can tell how much stress they're actually under. Yeah. And that's why myself, I would never want to be in a managerial position because I know how stressful it can be. And, you know, in one end, you're trying to make sure that your staff is happy. But at the other end, you're trying to make sure that the administrators above you are also happy. Yeah. I mean, just like you said, you were the middleman in this position. And that can be one of the most stressful Positions to be in, and I can see why you got burned out.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's definitely pressure coming from both ends, and you know, as as nurses too, we're we're highly compassionate people. I, I haven't met too many nurses in my entire career that didn't have a really strong why they became a nurse to begin with. And most of the time, it's some story about either somebody that they've dealt with personally, themselves personally, or had a very significant need to help people. And that's why we ended up here and doing this particular profession. And so with that large amount of empathy and that need to want to help people, it's very, very difficult for us to operate as leaders because we want to help the people that we're supposed to be serving. But to be honest with you, in leadership position, your your job is to drive revenue for the organization. It isn't for you to help the staff that you're working for.
1: Absolutely. And did you have a child at the time while you were working in this position? Yes. How old is your child currently?
0: My oldest is 14 and my youngest is eight.
1: Oh, wow. Okay. And is your husband working in healthcare at all? (laughs) No, I'm already. Here. Oh, man, he doesn't know what you're going through at work.
0: Oh, boy. Heck no. Man.
1: Okay, so you decided to quit this position. Did you put in your two weeks notice before you quit?
0: Well, what actually happened was because I was dealing with the burnout symptoms, I was actually told that I wasn't both. It's not even really the burnout. I mean, that had something to do with it, but because I didn't hit those markers that I was telling you about, 1.4 versus 1 million, I was actually told that I wasn't performing well enough in the position and that they thought that was no longer a good fit for me. And I, it was recommended that I take another job somewhere else in the organization.
1: You see this? You see this? This is how they treat... So I worked in corporate America. Yeah. Right? And that's exactly how it is in corporate America. Mm-hmm. I got laid off two times. Mm-hmm. And... I remember the last time that I got paid off, this was before I even got into nursing. I remember yeah. walking into my office and I was working as a risk analyst. So I used to, was it was in a merchant processing company and people who want to accept credit cards in their businesses, they reach out to these merchant processing companies and ask them to, you know, like POS systems, which is basically a credit card machine. Yes. Management. And then when the credit card is swiped, we're the ones that make sure that the transaction goes through to the credit card company and the money gets deposited in your bank account. Anyways, yeah. I was reviewing people's credit card history and their credit history. Yeah. And I'm responsible for approving the application or denying it. Yeah. And I remember um, a collapse that we had previously during the re- mm-hmm. months were going by. I remember seeing that our and our revenue was going lower and lower and lower every single month. And yeah. I kept telling my coworkers, I was like, this is not looking good. You guys need to start looking for a job because we're not going to have one soon enough. They didn't yeah. believe me. And yeah. Then, behold, here I come to work. It was like 7.30 in the morning. As I'm walking in, I see like two individuals in the manager's office with suits on. And yeah. like, this is the day. I look around. I see all of my staff, coworkers workers shaking their heads. And I walk into the office because they're like signaling for me to walk into it. And as I walk in, I, I told them, I was like, listen, you don't even have to tell me. I already know why I'm here. Just tell me if I have a severance package and I'm out of your way. Yeah. There was no severance package for nobody. Oh, no. So I had to file for unemployment. And at the time, our daughter was, I believe she was like two or three years old. I remember we enrolled myself in college at the time, but I didn't know what I was going to do because I was a business major prior to that. I got laid off. I remember walking all the way from like downtown Manhattan in New York City all the way to Central Park. And this is like a three hour walk. What? So I get to Central Park and I'm just sitting at the bench and I'm wondering to myself, what is it that I'm going to do with my life? Because I don't want to be put in that position again if my daughter is older, position where we're paying rent or mortgage because I was living with my wife in their house. I told myself, I need to do something that's going to provide me some security. Yeah. I looked around at all the different careers that I could go into and I thought healthcare was it. we were thinking, you know, nursing i can speak to people i can socialize with people the patients and i can provide a service that would be rewarding to me in addition to that i was like and i know that nursing provides security yeah you lose your job here you can find a job immediately somewhere else yeah and you don't hear about nurses getting laid off no right it's very rare yeah so when I made that decision, I was like, I'm never going back to corporate America again. So when I hear stories like yours, I feel like that's a corporate America story right there. Yeah. And it happens to so many people who work in administration, you know, who work in Wall Street, who work in banking and finance. Yeah. And it's pretty sad, like the way they treat you guys, it's like, we don't need you anymore. We need somebody who's going to make sure that they meet that bottom line, which is what counts at the end of the day, how much money this organization brings in. Yeah, and that's pretty sad.
0: It's terribly sad, and you know, and especially in healthcare because we have to remember the widget is the patient, yeah. the product is the patient. So what we design the business structure on ultimately feeds into these people who we're trying to make better. So the service that we're providing is to the human. And the human is the well human, the well, because we don't get that right most of the time. The well human is what the, we want to make sure that we get across the assembly line. And so I think that's the the fallacy of healthcare specifically. Like if we're talking about the car industry or if we're talking about insurances and things like that, I think they're all really important industries, but I just, I feel be passionate about industry and we don't really care for the widget that we're trying to create we're just trying to move them through as fast as possible as if we're trying to you know build out a car real quick
1: absolutely once you left this company you said you reached out to therapy because of all this all these feelings you had of being burned out Mm -hmm. from the position you were in yeah how did you find the therapist because you know a lot of people don't know this But my wife and I, we had to get therapy too. They think everything was perfect between us. Lee, I swear by therapy. We don't have a therapist anymore, but our therapist, I believe, saved our life. because, And it saved our marriage. Because now we're happier than we've ever been before. It was all thanks to therapy. So how did you find your
0: therapist? It was just a Google search. So to your point, one, it's hard to find a therapist in your area. Two, that takes your insurance. Three, that you can afford if they don't take your insurance. And four, somebody that you buy with. The person that I found was helpful. I needed that outlet and that release, but I, I still needed something other than that. So my particular therapist, she happened to be a white woman. Not that it was a terrible thing, but there are a lot of things she didn't get. I'm in this corporate position. I don't even get how I got here half the time. So how am I going to communicate that to this person here, right? And then in addition to that personal family relationship kind of things were coming up for me. And, you know, even priorities around what was most important to me in this moment was not being communicated well across. Right. So I think it did a lot for me, but it only got me to a point. And so I think that, you know, right now we're in a really cool place where black therapists are popping up more than I think ever has been seen. So I think it's a little bit easier to find a black therapist, but what I've found, and not to make it completely about race, but somebody that you vibe with, being able to find that person that you can connect with that can help you get to the next level. Because the other thing that happens, you talk to your therapist by the end, I can make anybody my best friend. So, you know, we sitting there chilling like we girlfriends. Like golly, it's not therapeutic no more. <laughs> anyway those are all things just to consider when you're looking for a therapist i honestly i think you know any version of therapy is important any work around self-awareness is important because i think that's probably the biggest culprit when we're finding ourselves moving in circles is that we're not aware of the behavior that has us moving in circles to begin with
1: and you said you fell into yoga after that and then you also got into cannabis and how did that transition happen how did that how do you even think about cannabis you said you did some research but like of all things why cannabis
0: okay so yoga yes that was like bay at the time it was a release it was meditation attached to it so it really created just almost a safe space for me to go that I went to without other people around I've had some pretty profound moments going through that but I think the I guess one of the more initial moments where I was like, oh, this is my thing is when I realized that I needed to stretch my hips. I was like, oh, girl, you got hips. You know? You haven't noticed these hips. Yeah, no. And so that was just during a downward dog which is a heavily utilized pose, but very rarely are we very mindful when we're doing those type of poses from like head to toe. And in this moment, my particular instructor was telling me, like walking me through the meditation of it. And I was like, wow, like it was the most, it was, first of all, it hurt. Second of all, it was the longest like minute or two minutes of my life because of just the way that we went through the process of it. It started to intrigue me. I'm like, well, how is... Me putting my hands on the floor, my feet on how was that making me feel the way that I feel? And so that's where I ran into ideas around holistic medicine, plant medicine. I saw that cannabis was coming up and really my interest was around the idea of homeostasis and balance. Like I wanted to really understand what that meant because we talk about it in nursing school. Homeostasis is wellness, but what does that mean? What I ran into the thing that I would like to share with everybody here is that the endocannabinoid system is responsible; it's the master regulator for homeostasis in the in the body. When we talk about balance, you know, a lot of people will say it in this very superficial way, but when we talk about balance, is it's a spectrum. You know, and so how can we optimize homeostasis or wellness in our clients and in ourselves? So we may not be the most well, but how well can you be in the physical body that you have presented before you? Environment plays a part in it, mindset plays a part in it, and all the other things. And ironically, the cannabis plant has chemical compounds. THC and CBD, to be exact, and plus a hundred other compounds that bind to the endocannabinoid system. And we also make versions of those compounds in our bodies naturally. Many of us, because we're dealing with stress, we don't have an endocannabinoid system. We don't have enough receptors being stimulated to so it can do its job. For some people, cannabis is the thing that they need in order to support their healing journey.
1: Were you employed at any point between you finding out that you research the cannabis research and you leaving the previous company?
0: What happened between the 14 hospital system and the time that I ended up independent, I actually took a lower paying job. It was half my salary and a very, very private job. I was doing quality medicine management. So I was responsible for all the chart audits and some data stuff. Right. So it was really cool because I was already like, I was over the whole situation previously, spent a lot of time in front of the computer working on that stuff. And so it gave me time. It gave me space to be able to process what I wanted for myself because I wasn't so burnt out. I would go home and I would do stuff like do research, look stuff up. I eventually ended up creating the training course that I have now is the training course that I created then. It's based off of the way I was doing cannabis consultations for my friends and my family.
1: And so what is included in this course?
0: History, a little bit of history, because there is a lot of stigma around cannabis medicine. So it's not the most comprehensive history. It is the most what do we do with this history and what does it mean for us kind of history? We talk about roles and responsibility of the nurse, ways to implement cannabis into his or her practice. We have treatment care planning. We do a case study. We talk about CBD in there. And it's about six modules regularly adding to it when I get new information. It used to be... You know, everybody asks me all the time. It's like, why don't you have contact hours? I did up until July of this year. It had contact hours in 2019 and then 2021. And then I let it go in 2023, mostly because I wanted the flexibility to add to it just because the climate is changing so fast. With those contact hours over top, I could only change it every two years. And it's already outdated, you know, three months in.
1: How did you go about getting approval for those contact hours.
0: You have to fill out, there's a bunch of questions. It's like an application. So my master's degree in education came into play here. Different organizations, they have the the ability to give you approval. And so the American Holistic Nurses Association was one of them. They supported the course and basically they wanna see the evidence that you have to support the content that you're putting out there. So basically it's like a a third party approval system where I do the research, I create everything and then they come behind me and say, okay, we validate that this is evidence-based.
1: So for people that are interested in your course, Who are these type of people that you're looking for? Are they nurses that are interested in working in the cannabis industry? Or are they just nurses that are or individuals that are interested in using cannabis as a form of treatment, like holistic medicine?
0: Both, to be honest. So I've had people who are not nurses come and take the course because they wanted to learn more through the lens of a nurse. I've had nurses who are consumers that really don't, they know they consume because it makes them better, but they really haven't had an outlet or somebody to consult with to see why it helps the way it helped. I even had one young lady come and take it. And she said, I took it for that reason, quit smoking weed altogether, and then went into psychedelics. And I was like, okay, wow. (laughs) So (laughs) then, you know, The intention of it is for the nurse who is working at the bedside who is able to have open and evidence based conversation with his or her client. So, when you do that, the assessment, and you're like, Do you take any drugs? And they'd be like, Nope. You'd be like, All right, no. Right. There's a very big difference for a lot of people in their minds about taking drugs and consuming flour. Differentiation matters for a lot of people. And so being an informed nurse coming to meet with your client and talk to them about this so that way you can capture the accurate information in your assessment is important because there are potential interactions with the plant and pharmaceutical drugs. There are considerations for mental health when we're talking about overconsumption of the plant. And then also safety considerations for people who are getting their plant, what something, what are some things they need to consider as they're doing that, or even if they're choosing to grow in their home, what are some things, some safety considerations do they need to, you know, share as part of their education for their patient. And then one other group of people we mentioned, if you want to be in the cannabis industry, I have a whole like framework for anybody who's interested in doing that connection in the industry, a community to help you grow. And then I also do consulting. So helping nurses transition from the bedside to getting their first independent client.
1: Have you had any individuals yet who have taken your course and actually opened up like a consultation business for uh, cannabis specifically?
0: Yeah. So um, one of my favorites, she's in New Mexico and she actually took my course back in 2020. I want to say it was 21. It was still like highly pandemic-y during that time. And she has consulted with a dispensary from the ground up. They built it. They asked her to come in. She has consulted on all aspects of their operations and continues to be like their, we call it a clinical director here, but like their representative, their medical professional representative to let people know that they have medically therapeutic plant flower available for their Mm -hmm. clients.
1: Uh, So I don't know if you've seen any of my videos, but a lot of my videos revolve around how much money nurses can make in or out of the industry Mm -hmm. what is the potential earning power of a nurse who's doing consultations for the in the cannabis industry like that
0: the sky's the limit depending on how you organize stuff so Mm -hmm. you know in any type of independent role especially when you're a solopreneur your biggest asset so if you're only doing consultations for one hour that that's highly limited and depending on how much you cost it's probably not sustainable financially right so some of the conversation is how can we be creative i think the interesting thing about this this space in particular is that we just found out a couple weeks ago that the ANA acknowledges it as a specialty. So there's a lot of stuff to create. Whereas in other industries, there's already a lot of competition, a lot of things that already exist. So med spa, everybody opening a med spa right now. You got to figure out where to place the med spa. You got to compete with the other med spas in the area. Like it's a lot going on with the med spa. What makes you different? Like be sure there are no cannabis nurses in Owings Mills.
1: Out of all of the nurses that i interviewed so far and reached out to i have not met a single cannabis nurse like nurse that's in the cannabis industry at all so that's why i'm like oh this would be an interesting interview i've never interviewed somebody like that before
0: yeah Yeah. So there are probably, if I had to guess how many across the country, I'd like to say about a hundred that are actively identifying themselves as cannabis nurses. I have seen hundreds of people come through my training program, but some of them, you know, like I mentioned, they use it for different reasons. And of those people who are identifying themselves as cannabis nurses, most of them are not building businesses. They focus more on the advocacy. So there's a lot of space for improvement in that area where we are taking our expertise and knowledge and monetizing it.
1: I see. Now, is it more difficult for a nurse practicing, let's say like the Midwest or somewhere where, you know, marijuana is still not legal for them to be able to get into this line of work?
0: Yeah, no. So I think that has a lot to do with mindset because first of all, the underground market exists. People smoke it all the time, you know? And so just because the legality of it doesn't support you, that doesn't mean you cannot offer your nursing services to the people who are choosing to consume it. That's true. And so... I think in those states where it isn't legal, I think it's the most opportunity because you can participate in the legislation and you can engage actively in some of the political evolution of this, which is needed because most of our political figures have no idea why it's considered medicine. And they still think this is your mind on drugs most of the time. And so having an advocate who is a healthcare professional professional, that was the case for me. Very few people who look like me showed up in these advocacy meetings very few people, very few nurses showed up that, you know, to even speak on it in many cases. And so I was always the one that was different. Oh, they go Ashley, the nurse over there, you know, that supported networking. It supported being able to figure out the needs of my target audience, to do my market research, you know, all the things that you have to do when you monetize anything. And so if your state is actively in deliberation about some of the things they're trying to implement, then you can be a part of it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. At the moment, how are you doing financially if you compare it to when you were working for your uh, for the other company?
0: I would say equal. I'm taking care of myself. I'm taking care of my family. I feel very
1: comfortable. You're working
0: for yourself now. Yeah, I got the freedom to work for myself. And I'm cool with that. You know, I don't leave my house every day. I've been building a lot of little ventures. I started doing workshops. I started doing small events with people. So it's just kind of opened the door for so much more. You know, the idea of multiple streams of income is is real. You know, let's let's do that. Honestly, even though I say, hey, it's equal, I have freedom, one, and, and, and larger potential for growth. Plus,
1: you, I mean who's going to fire you right <laughs> nobody because you're your own boss Right, we good <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly so if my guest i sorry my viewers are interested in getting into this line of work and signing up for your course how do they reach you
0: i'm your instagram cannabis nursing solutions inbox me and i'll I'll reach out to you. I always respond to my Instagram account. I also have a free ebook. I can get to them talking about all the different ways that they can make money in the cannabis industry. If that's something that they would be interested in. Yeah. If you want to email me, you can email me at cannabis nursing solutions at Gmail.
1: If you enjoyed this episode, then you're probably also going to enjoy the episode of the nurse who went from a dialysis tech to LPN to RN to BSN and MSN in less than three years and for under $4,000 in overall cost.